News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 22 of the Luke Macias Show. This is our bi-weekly news update. So next week we will have another conversation. I actually have a great conversation coming with Derek Ryan. He's one of the most respected people just when it comes to the numbers behind the elections. Registered voters, who's voting, demographic shifts, what regions are up for play. So we sit down with Derek and have a pretty extended conversation. I thought one where he uh, brought a lot of insight to me and hopefully to many of you next week, just when it comes to where Texas is and where Texas is headed. But this week, we have a couple news topics that we want to address with you. And then we're going to get to a quick little update on an issue uh, with Raz just regarding um, just one of the federal issues regarding Chip Roy. So that being said, uh, first and foremost, Governor Abbott. It just announced, in fact, uh, he announced on Friday that he will be sending 1,000 troops to the Texas border. This is from the National Guard. Um, Governor Abbott announced this in a press conference that was held Friday afternoon um, just to bring Texans up to speed with the crisis at the border. You know, this is uh, something that we feel the brunt of more than most states in the nation. But what we do know is that in March and April, there were a there were 100,000 apprehensions of illegal immigrants crossing the border. And in May, that number jumped to over uh, 140,000 illegal immigrants that were apprehended. By the way, I want to clarify that this is just apprehensions. And if you talk to anybody on the border, if you talk to Border Patrol, if you talk to um, any of the authorities that are down there, they will tell you that for everybody that we catch, we know that there is at least another one that we are not catching. So when it comes to us apprehending 100,000 people, and then we also know that the way our immigration system works is that all those 100,000 people that are apprehended will not be returned to their country. So some of them will also continue to stay in the United States of America, but there are in addition to them more that are just continuing to seep into our country every single day. And so this is the definition of a crisis. And so Governor Abbott is sending the National Guardsmen, uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick and Speaker Dennis Bonin joined him. There was no legislative action required for this. So just want to clarify that uh, state representatives, senators did not do anything to accomplish this. Uh, this was a decision made by the governor and will be uh, funded with federal Dollars. So that is just the reality of what's happening. It's something that is good because we have to stem the tide, but it's also time for Republicans to step up. It's times like this that hopefully we can come back next session and agree to try to end more taxpayer subsidies that are given to those here illegally. You know, we can be outraged when it comes to the 150,000 people that were apprehended crossing the Texas border in the month of May. But what Texans can do about it is that in 2021, we will have an opportunity to ensure that of those 140 or 50 or 60,000 people that crossed our border in May, if those children go to high school, graduate high school in Texas, we do not spend taxpayer money to discount uh, their college tuition. And I want to explain that. We're not talking about whether or not they can even go to college. We're talking about whether or not we will pay to discount your college for you. So while we can be outraged at 
the border and the border crossings. We also need to make sure that Texas lawmakers are doing what they can to end taxpayer subsidies to those here illegally. It's something that conservative Republicans and the Republican platform has called for a decade. And it's times like this that we can recognize that when we come back to 2021, it's time to address that issue. If you're talking to your state representative or your state senator while they are on the campaign trail and this comes up, you need to ask them, will you stand in support of ending taxpayer subsidies for those here illegally across all levels of state government. It is one way that Texas lawmakers could step in and address this crisis. We're grateful that Governor Abbott is sending those 1,000 National Guardsmen down to the border to assist with border operations. Guys, 2020 is gearing up, and it's gearing up. Uh, Dustin Zensky had a great piece at the Texas Scorecard that he wrote about the fact that Annie's List, which is a very leftist organization, um, is targeting 29 state house seats, and they only need nine more seats in order to gain a majority in the Texas House of Representatives. 12 of those 29 seats that they are targeting are the 12 Republican districts that went blue in 2018. So there are 12 state house districts from all across the state that went blue in 2018. Of course, Annie's list and conservatives, conservatives will be trying to get those back. Annie's list will be trying to defend those. The Democrats and the progressives will all be trying to keep those 12 state reps in their house districts. And then there are 17 state representative districts um, that they will be targeting to take up. And these are Republican state reps who received less than 55% of the vote. So they're going into those districts. Almost every single one of them will be found within suburban areas in the larger metroplex centers. And so uh, keep your eyes on your house district and engage with your state representative. Understand if you're in one of these districts and the need to engage further. If you are concerned about 2020, you need to listen to next week's episode. You need to listen to the conversation that we have with Derek Ryan where he breaks it down and explains even down to certain regions that are really in need of more activism. And then if you live in one of those areas, you can further engage in the process of getting more people registered to vote, getting more people um, engaged in the process, and then making sure that they get back out to November. But before we get to November of 2020, we will have the primaries, and those are just starting to come up. At the end of the day, we have J.D. Sheffield, who's one of the most liberal Republican legislators in uh, in the entire legislature uh, and in the Republican caucus, and he already has two very legitimate primary opponents. Uh, there was a lot of rumors going around about whether J.D. Sheffield would or would not run for re-election uh, kind of throughout the session, but it did look this week he started sending out invitations to Austin lobbyists to come to a fundraiser for him, so that is usually an indication that one intends to run for re-election. He would not be the first state representative representative to raise money from the lobby and then decide not to run for re-election, which is a really low blow. But I'm not saying JD is doing that. In fact, I would say that his him uh, raising money in Austin seems to indicate that he is intending to seek re-election, but he will have to, in order to do so, he will have to go through two very legitimate opponents. If you live in that area, if you live in Stephenville um, or Gatesville or any of those small counties in between, I would urge you to look up J.D. Sheffield's voting record. I would urge you um, to engage. If you're a Texan who knows somebody in Stephenville, Gatesville, or any of those small counties in between, call them and let them know that their state representative who says he's a Republican votes with Democrats more than 90% of the Republican caucus and that they have an opportunity to elect in that district somebody who actually represents the conservative values of that community. Uh, Another thing that 
across my radar screen, we talked to you a little bit about the Carolyn Jones story. Um, Carolyn Jones was the patient at Memorial Hermann in Houston uh, who had the 10-day law enacted on her and the uh, hospital attempted to end her life without her permission and against the will of her family. Texas Right to Life was heavily involved in that process. They not only tried to delay that process, but then when it became inevitable and when the hospital began to remove certain life-sustaining treatments from Carolyn, hoping that she would then pass, uh, Texas Right to Life took action, and they actually funded a private ambulance uh, late at night, came in and got Carolyn and took her to another hospital where she received care. But here is the great news. Carolyn was just recently moved to a long-term nursing facility where she will be allowed to heal without a countdown placed on her life. And what does that mean? You know, guys, if you go to the texan.news, you'll get a couple different great stories on Carolyn Jones. So if you need background to this story, at the end of the day, Texas has a law that allows hospitals, those individual healthcare professionals who have taken a pledge to do no harm, to refuse to treat you and actually remove life-sustaining treatment from you, actively uh, ushering in your death. Even if the uh, patient requests that they receive that treatment, even if their family says, we oppose you removing this treatment, doctors can still take action and they can basically give you a 10-day notice that within 10 days or after 10 days, they will then take action against you. Texas Right to Life has fought tirelessly to try to reform these measures. And Carolyn Jones is a perfect example of why we need them reformed. Carolyn not only was taken out of that hospital, who, who, if she had stayed in there, she would have passed, was taken to another hospital who gladly cared for her, and then moved to a long-term nursing facility where she can slowly recover and eventually continue to live her life. But what does that mean? That means that in Texas, there are people that may have been with us today, living life today, had a 10-day rule not been placed on them, and they not have access to the resources that Texas Right to Life provided Carolyn years past. We have got to ask ourselves this question. The Texas Senate took action and passed a bill to greatly reform this process, and it died in the Texas House, but we're going to have an opportunity to pass that legislation again in 2021. Please talk to your lawmakers about this during the interim. Please engage with your senators and representatives and let them know that you think that the the existence of the 10-day law is a travesty and it must be reformed. And make sure that we have a coalition of individuals coming back next session understanding the importance of addressing this issue in 2021. Last but not least, I really want to talk about two things that we saw on a county level in the state of Texas. So one was in Tarrant County and one was in Williamson County. So in Tarrant County, we had a debate on whether or not the county should be allowed to continue to coordinate with ICE when it comes to illegal immigrants who uh, are in the county jail system. Okay, I could get really into the policy of this, but needless to say, I think it's obvious where people would come down on this issue. Those of us who believe in a rule of law and the fact that we are a nation of immigrants, but we also get to decide as a nation of immigrants who does come in and out of our country. And if we don't make that decision, if we don't have a border, then you will, uh, your communities will continue to be filled with individuals who are not here legally. And those people will have access to government programs. Those people can commit crimes and they really shouldn't be here in the first place. And so in Tarrant County, there was a debate on whether or not the Tarrant County sheriff 
uh, Judge Bill Wayburn or Sheriff Bill Wayburn would be able to continue to coordinate with ICE. And of course, by party lines, Tarrant County Commissioner's Court decided to continue to give him that authority. Um, that was a debate that happened for the first time in, in a long time. But you're also starting to see, in fact, I was talking to somebody who works in another large county who works for there as a county employee who was saying that they as well are getting pressed on this issue uh, strongly. And then secondarily, you had a, a situation in Williamson County. And Williamson County was not on immigration. It was actually on the fact that it's Pride Month. And there were several justices of the peace that wanted to fly the rainbow flag out uh, in front of their just JP courts. Um, you know, every time I see rainbow flags, I still think about Noah's Ark. And so I never know whether we're celebrating Noah's Ark or celebrating Pride Month or Pride Week or Pride something else. But at the end of the day, these JPs, I do not think wanted to recognize uh, Noah's Ark. I do think that they were trying to uh, symbolize uh, support for the LGBTQ and all the other letter community uh, in the midst of Pride Month. And so they asked the Williamson County Commissioner's Court for permission to fly that flag. And the commissioner's court got together and asked themselves what the policy would be. They ended up unanimously passing a policy that said there are only going to be three flags flown in front of county buildings, the American flag, the Texas flag, and the Williamson County flag. They basically said the flying of the flag is not here to be used for or against one person's worldview or perspective. We're not here to fly a flag in favor of the Christian faith, and we're not here to fly a flag in favor of the sexual revolution. We are here to just fly the government flags. But why am I bringing this up? And, and if you're outside of Williamson County or Tarrant County, how is this relevant to you? It's relevant to you because you are about to go into an election season where people are going to be running for your county positions. There's going to be county commissioners elected in every single county in the state of Texas. And unfortunately, where county commissioners used to be people that were running saying, here's what I want to do to fix our potholes, and here's how I want to provide for our basic infrastructure, and here's how I want to handle our criminal justice system, uh, now... They are being forced to engage in all of the cultural battles that are surrounding our state. And so your county commissioners, when they come to you, you must ask them now. And I don't care whether you're in the smallest county in the panhandle of Texas or East Texas or a major metropolitan area. You need to sit down with your county commissioner or a person running for an open seat in the county commissioner's court or somebody running to challenge a sitting county commissioner and ask them, are you going to allow your position to be co-opted by leftists who are trying to push their agenda? The two votes that took place in Tarrant County and Williamson County were not conservative victories in the idea that we did not advance anything that is conservative policy. We just maintain the status quo, but that's the reality of where we're at right now, that just keeping things the way they are is not good enough for leftist progressives. And whether it's the state house or the city council or the United States Congress or your county commissioner's court, they are going to do everything they can to advance their agenda. So make sure that when you're talking to your county commissioners or individuals running for the county commissioner position, that you're asking them these important questions and where they stand, because I guarantee you, they will be asked to give an account for where their convictions lie on these issues, and they will have to take votes in the coming years. That is all I have for you today. And now on to a quick word from our show sponsor, and then on to a quick word from Raz regarding some federal issues that he is talking about. Thank you so much for engaging and please come back next week to hear our conversation with Derek Ryan. God bless. 
Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy. PatriotAcademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with a, an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Messias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com. We're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. What's up, y'all? I want to give you guys updates on two things that have been flashed through the news. Uh, one is an update on what Chip Roy has been doing, freshman congressman from Texas, and my former boss, working to make sure that proper attention is paid to the immigration crisis on the border. we got a humanitarian crisis going on there right now with hundreds of thousands of people um, several hundred thousand people this year, over a hundred thousand a month in many cases, coming here illegally. And uh, as if you've been watching the news, there have been a lot of stories recently focused on the bad conditions and the problems with uh, detaining that many people. It, it's an unprecedented amount of problem of people that are coming across, and detaining them and holding them has, has stressed the border situation in a way that it never has before. And the Democrats have largely been pushing back, refusing to give any money to enforcement efforts, including the housing situation for holding on to uh, the immigrants that are coming here illegally while their problems are being adjudicated, whether it's actually being found out they have a reason to be here, a legal reason whether they can claim asylum or that they need to be sent home. And so uh, as the Democrats have been decrying the, the housing situations and what they find themselves living in right now, they've also been refusing to give any money whatsoever to actually remedy the situation. Well, Chip Roy has been standing up and pushing back, and the, the way he's been doing so has been unique and has caused more than a few of his colleagues to be ticked off. So we mentioned a few weeks ago how he had objected to a unanimous consent motion to spend about, I think it was $19 billion, and uh, this huge spending bill. And he had made a lot of people really angry with this is one thing. Well, it brought a lot of attention to the problem, and they, but they still didn't give any more money to help solve this humanitarian crisis. So what Chip Roy and a number of his Republican colleagues, some of the very conservative members of the, of the U.S. House Republican Caucus, what they've done over the last several days is about the last week is they have objected time and time again to a, an incredible number of votes. So the way this works is that they're on issues that, are, that the, uh, the Speaker of the House believes will be unanimous consents. Nobody's an object. It's not a uh, contentious or controversial issue. They will put up a unanimous consent motion in many cases. And this is basically it's like everybody's in, in favor of this, so let's just do it. Let's not actually make them come down here and show up and vote. And there's two reasons why they like this. One, it's convenient. They don't have to go from their office. They don't have the scheduled time to be there. And second of all, it means that they don't have to actually put their name next to a particular vote. Uh, members of Congress especially like this when it's something that they think they might get dinged with in a primary election. 
So they may not want to have their name next to spending uh, billions and billions of dollars, but they are in favor of it being done. They don't want to actually try to stop it. Well, what Chip Roy and many of his colleagues have done is to stand up and just object out of as a uh, form of, of protest, basically, to many of these bills and say, look, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep objecting and making you guys drag yourselves down here and keep the house in session for hours and hours, in one case till 4 a.m., if, you, if you're not going to pay attention and help solve this problem at the border. They believe it's that big of a deal. So they've been doing this. It's brought a lot of attention. And actually, as a result, they actually got a serious concession. They got some a, a significant amount of money that was allocated and is going to be spent down on the border to help make sure the conditions that these illegal immigrants are being held in are uh, are what they should, that they're properly housed, and that we can actually take care of, of adjudicating their claims appropriately. Now, this is not wall funding. This is not even an, as much money as uh, the, the DHS and ICE believe is necessary for to solve the problem, but is a step in the right direction. And it shows that just causing a little bit of inconvenience to members of the House can actually get some good things done. The second is to mention the situation with Iran right now. There have been a lot of things going on. We had the two oil tankers that were uh, that were uh, a shot or somehow uh, nearly blown up in the Strait of Hormuz last week. Uh, Iran is believed to be at at fault for that. They're the ones that uh, that caused that. Uh, that at least is the prevailing wisdom right now. There's been this long standoff with Iran that's been months in the making as we've had them under significant sanctions, and they've been increasingly aggressive. And uh, in Yemen, uh, as well as in Iraq, where there's where Iran is exerting influence, uh, tensions have been getting hotter and hotter, and uh, confrontation with the U.S. have been uh, been ramping up. Well, after the the two ships were uh, were were damaged, uh, a U.S. drone was shot down. Now the Iranians said it was shot down over uh, their airspace. Um, America has uh, plenty of evidence that it was actually not in U- in Iranian airspace, it was in international airspace. And it was actually providing surveillance and air cover to be able to uh, to watch what was going on with those two tanker ships in the strait. And basically make sure that Iran could not be uh, be shooting at other ships without us having clear evidence of it. So as a response to that, there's a lot of uh, conjecture about how President Trump and the military would respond. Interestingly enough, it hasn't got a ton of coverage outside the Wall Street Journal, but the Wall Street Journal basically uh, published a piece that, according to their sources, that we actually carried out significant electronic warfare cyber attacks against Iran on the, a lot of their missile control batteries and all the, a lot of the software and the hardware that they use to control missiles. And uh, we were able to do a lot to basically, in a uh, pr- what's called a proportional response, to push back electronically with no kinetic action in order to make sure that many of those resources were taken offline. And then we demonstrated that, hey guys, if you actually want to start this as a shooting war, that uh, you're not going to, it's not going to be as easy to shoot down the rest of our stuff as an unarmed drone that was just doing surveillance over international waters. As I've got a chance to talk to a few folks who are much smarter about some of this this uh, national security stuff and Iranian relations than I am, uh, there is both cause for concern and reason to believe that it's not going to escalate to a shooting war to a significant one. Um, there's significant downsides for both sides in this. There's not a whole lot of appetite right now in America for another Middle Eastern war, even one that is uh, that we're provoked into. And from Iran's side, we have a, they know that we have the ability to, uh, to yield a lot of destruction against them in a very short period of time. Uh, it is worth noting that this is not a small country or a small uh, population. Uh, this is next to 
uh, looking at China and Russia, Iran is one of our most significant strategic enemies, and they have incredible resources. So um, when we start looking at things like gas prices and uh, both natural gas and oil flow, the Strait of Hormuz is a very strategic artery where um, a significant minority of the world's oil and nearly a majority of the world's natural gas flows through that on a regular basis. So we're talking about some pretty big stakes here, but the uh, the way that our national security apparatus seems to be handling is uh, is encouraging and gives us reason for for hope that it's not going to escalate immediately into a into a very bad situation. So those are my two things for the national update, both national and international. And uh, I'll, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for listening to the Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemacias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.